I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Welcome to Hey, I Want Your Job. And this, and today I am joined by somebody whose job I do not want, but whose job I have been so grateful to have out there. Morgan, what's your job title? I am an integrative fertility coach. And what does an integrative fertility coach do and what does that mean? Hmm. So basically, I get to help women take power over their fertility journey. Um, which is like a fancy way of saying, um, I help women learn like really what's going on with their bodies and why they didn't just go from having this magical cycle they learned about in fifth grade to, uh oh, I can't have children. What does that mean? So really getting them educated in all the parts and the pieces and, and how much power and control they really do have. So I am so excited to have this conversation and talk to you about this. It's such a personal topic for me. Um, so I have two beautiful boys um, that are both little IVF babies. Um, so, you know, Louis and Vuitton, very expensive. <laughs> we'll get into like that in a second, uh, the cost of it. But um, yeah, this is such a personal space. I can't imagine, like, what drew you to it? Why Honestly, it, it was, it was the last thing in the world I ever wanted to work with. Like when I was young, um, I really just knew I wanted to be in medicine. I love science. I wanted to help people. I didn't know what that was looking like. Um, and so as I was going to school, um, when I was 23, taking all my classes, getting ready for pre-med, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder with MS and it hit me hard. And they said, you know, well, basically you are going to be disabled. You're probably not going to work again. You might never walk. And yeah, don't think about having kids, which was an intense amount of information for me to take as a 23-year-old. Yeah. Um, so I just started kind of plucking away at like, what can I do? They just didn't resonate it, that that was like my future looking forward. I didn't see that for myself. And so then I really, I got into some really alternative things. I, I learned about Chinese medicine. I learned about Chinese herbs. I diet, nutrition, kind of what my body was saying and what I could do about it. And so to fast forward, I became a Chinese medical practitioner um, and had any issues with MS. And it was just such a learning experience about how you really can change what your body is doing. And so as I put that into my practice, I saw women coming up with these fertility issues. And I thought, hey, you know what, maybe what I learned can apply to this. And it worked and it worked really well. And so then just getting that reward of helping somebody in this desperate place get to this place that they want nothing more than was like, oh, that sold it for me. So, you know, taking away the scary buzzness of infertility and that word and the shock underneath is a really, really beautiful journey. So I love that you turned your own lemon into lemonades. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's so important and so meaningful. I know um, I was told that I couldn't have babies when I was 18. Um, oh my so word. I was diagnosed PCOS, um, mm -hmm. like pretty extreme version. Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, babies are not going to be a thing for you. Sad. Anyway, moving on. And it was a male doctor. He didn't even speak to me. He spoke to my mom. Um, and I was like, really? Um, and I did not make lemonade. I turned into a not great person around issues around that for a while because it was so like, it's just, that's a lot to put on a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like that you've been there. So talk to me about like that process. Cause you obviously made better choices than I did, um, around that. So did you just immediately be like, well, screw this. I'm going to find a way. Or was there, did you go through a grieving process with that diagnosis? Did you get external help in processing? Like, what did that look like at the beginning part of your journey? Absolutely. And, and it is a shock and a trauma. Like, and maybe in your, if I was in your situation, it would be different because that is so straight to that future picture, right? We're 18. We always see ourselves growing up, getting married and having kids. And mine was sort of this full body wonkiness. And of course there was that initial, like, I just don't feel well. I don't know what's happening. I felt relief to have a diagnosis, but then I was like, well, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And I went through that grieving process and I I grieve for the fact that I might not what work again and do these things. And luckily my doctor had some compassion, um, not a whole lot, but <laughs> there was enough there for me to realize, you know, and he tried to give me some helpful solutions. Um, so I just kind of went with it and I sort of spiraled. But the one thing I kept having this doubt, like it just didn't feel like me. And I thought this might be more than that denial part of the grieving process. So what is this? And so I started asking for help. I started looking for other ways and, you know, I tried all sorts of, I tried Reiki, I tried tapping, I tried, you know, anything you could find. And I, I came across a, a, this little Chinese man who totally changed my world. I didn't understand what he was saying and the funky herbs he was giving me and all of these horrible things, but I was willing to try it because I could feel differences. I couldn't articulate it, but I could feel it. Um, so then I kind of kept moving forward like that. And honestly, it took me years to peel back all of those layers and to really gain back that power that, Hey, you know what? I am back in charge of my future. Again, this disease, this disease process isn't calling the shots. So I think that that is such a healthy way of looking at it, that like, I, I'm going to own my body and I'm going to own my future and I'm not going Mm -hmm. to let that be dictated to me. And I think that that is a huge part of what people going through fertility feel like they've lost, right? That they, yeah. they had a roadmap and then something not in their control changed that. And that's really hard. So I think that, you know, having gone through it myself, by the time I was at a place to do that, I was pretty zen, right? I was like, yep, shit doesn't work. We're going to need some help. <laughs> like I was really, it was really clear for me. But I know having talked to other people and because I am so very open about it and like, I don't care who knows, I have zero shame. I think it's weird that anybody would be made to feel shame about it. Yeah. I know that other women feel differently. So what is when you engage with a a woman or a couple or, you know, whoever is going through this, um, what is like the normal initial place that they come to you from? Is it from pure desperation? Is it from grief? Are they, you know, determined and they have a list and you're like number three on the list? Like, what is that usually for you? 
Yeah, no, great question. It's, it's usually desperation. And they usually come to me because they have tried everything else and nothing else work. And, you know, my, my cousin's aunt's sister said that this might have a chance. Um, and then once they get to me, I do go back kind of to that place, like you had that traumatizing moment. I have them look at that plan and just kind of set that on the shelf for a minute and let them know we can reorganize their plan in a way that might manifest more beautifully than, than they thought. Um, and so I always work with a couple and I really just kind of paint them a picture that this is bigger than just fertility, them just seeing, I can't have kids. How do we kind of separate this out to where it's digestible for them? Sure. And it becomes a lot less desperate. That makes sense that you have to get into a place of action from a place of just purely like reactive emotionality. And so you said at the beginning of talking about your path to where you are, that you were a big believer in science and medicine, and now you're at, you do Chinese medicine, which a lot of people put in the greater woo-woo camp of right. fake and not real. So talk to me about that reconciliation for yourself. Like as somebody who is a self-described science aficionado, help dispel the myth that like this is all just, you know, putting some plants in a jar and charging people too much for it. Right. So that's where the integrative part comes in. And I still do work a lot with the Western evidence because studies are great. Everyone wants to know numbers, right? Yeah. So we can look at what the latest studies are showing. For example, you said you had PCS. So I'll just go with that. Um, I can show you all the studies of what they're saying works with PCOS from the Western perspective. Then let's hop over to Eastern. And there are actually very good studies from herbs, what they can do to PCOS, what they can do to fertility. And they have hard numbers. And so finding a, ma a magic combination that works for your body of that integratedness. You might still be on your Western medication, but hey, let's let them, the doctor cut down the dose because we're going to hit it with these things and you will see a difference and your doctor won't need to give you so much. So that's so interesting. I didn't realize that there were at this point, like some, some quantitative studies around mm -hmm. efficacy of the herbs. I think that that's a great thing straight away that people don't realize because when Absolutely. You... Education is so important. And actually one of the best studies that came out is herbs can cut, can double your chances of getting pregnant just using Chinese herbs. If you combine it with acupuncture, it cuts that six months window down to four months. So it really gives some really hard data. And it's cool that they are giving that now. So people take it off the woo-woo shelf a little bit, you know, they still think it, but they're willing well, to put their toes in the water, I suppose. I, and, you know, having gone down that road, like I know that when I was um, pregnant with my first one and I was ready for him to no longer be in. Yes. <laughs> and I was done being pregnant. Yes. Um, I went for acupuncture and I was like, just whatever it is, just sign me up. Yeah. Have an herb, I'll drink it. Have a needle, let's do it. Just get this little bastard out of me. I'm done. <laughs> so true. So I, I very, like when you're in those moments, I think that that is one of the times that we are most open-minded, but I think that's fascinating that there's not as much, like most of the press that we hear and see about Eastern techniques all says, this is, you know, it's untested. You know, I know that when I've spoken to my doctor about it, he's very sweet and he's always like, the placebo effect is strong. If it works for you, go nuts. But he is very much like, you know, he's a very Western doctor kind of mentality. 
why do you think there is such a resistance and why do you think that the Western medical community is so negative about something where there is empirical data to show that it works and that it is potentially less invasive? Right. And it's been around for like 3000 years. Yeah. But the unfortunate part is the way they set up the studies. So Western medicine, you can set it up in a rubric. If this, then that. Mm -hmm. End of equation. And with the Chinese medicine, there is a subjective part to it. So the diagnosis for you having PCS and the diagnosis for me having PCS could be two different things and we could get two different treatments. They're kind of the same. So you really can't measure those needles in, in the same place as that right. formula, very standard, the if this, then that. And then they throw in the placebo effect to the study. So then they just start placing random needles in people's body and they get this nice effect. And they say, hmm, we don't know really what, how to interpret that. So we need to come up with a better standard for, for rating Eastern medicine trials, acupuncture and herbs, namely. Herbs are a little bit different because you can measure physiologically in the blood. It's a lot more clear. Um, the acupuncture studies are what really throw in the placebo and kind of throw the Western doctors to, hmm, I really like this pill. Um, and some of that is standard of care, right? For them to have their malpractice insurance and them to, sure. to practice properly, they have to tell you that this medicine is the best to take. Um, and so if you can find a doctor that is more open-minded to be willing to work with you if you want to incorporate some acupuncture and some Eastern medicine in, awesome. That's even better because I'm happy to talk with your doctor. I'm happy to say, here's what our program and plan is. Do you have any issues with that? What do you see being problematic in this? Um, so I think the integration of the two practitioners is really key as well. Um, so I love that. I, I love that idea. And I also, I guess to me, hearing that, what I immediately think is that it doesn't make innate sense that we treat every single person with a given condition exactly the same because they all manifest differently in different humans. We know that, right? Um, and yet we, and I like having gone through my own medical journey, my husband, like the, my loved one's medical journeys, a huge part of what Western medicine winds up having to do is be like, well, we have five different drugs. We're going to try one. And if that doesn't work, we're going to do mm -hmm. something else. And it, it, they do have a tendency to treat like one thing at a time instead of a more holistic approach to like, hey, you have these 15 things. Let's look at how that might yeah. play together. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I guess I'm just, I'm still coming back to this. Like, I don't understand. Like you've articulated that so clearly. I can't imagine you're the only one. Um, in integrated medicine that is articulating it this clearly. And so why, like conspiracy theories about big pharma notwithstanding, why do you think that the media doesn't, because I think the media sort of doesn't help with this, right? So the media talks very much derisively about Eastern medicine and alternative medical standards. So why do you, why do you think that is? Is it just because it makes good good press copy or, or what is it because there are a few bad players and so that makes it worse? Where do you think that comes from? I think it's a combination. You know, I think there are a few bad players. I don't think all acupuncturists are created equally. Um, I think also that Eastern medicine takes a little bit more of a time frame, right? So if you're going to take an ibuprofen because you have a headache, you're going to feel better in 30 minutes, an hour tops. 
So if you're doing acupuncture, people will try one or two treatments and be like, oh, it didn't work for me. When really you might need 12 treatments. You need a treatment plan carried out by somebody who can tell you, hey, for your picture, this is what it's going to take. Each treatment builds off of the other one. And we might do this one week at a time for six weeks. And then you come back once every six months and you'll be all right. But if you don't have somebody putting that plan together that works for you and your body, you're going to try it and say, oh, you know what? It didn't work. And so education is a huge factor in that. I think any of us on the integrative side just really need to keep educating people the proper that, way to do it. I mean, I think that also hearing that explanation makes sense to me, but I think it also speaks to the convenience culture, right? Like we oh, have totally. developed this culture where like, why am I about to wait three weeks to stop having headaches when instead yeah. I can take an ibuprofen and not have one right now? And I think it's the same like, um, the ads that they had a while back about uh, for smoking cessation, where they're like, if you could see, like, if you immediately saw what this was doing to your body long term, you would never do it. But because, like, we don't see immediately the effects that it's having, or it's all internal effects, and so you can't see that on the outside, our vanity and our sense of, like, immediacy and that convenience culture just is ignores the bigger picture stuff like that and and that is so dangerous because you know that's also where education comes in so okay yeah that ibuprofen that immediacy it's gonna take your headache away but if you were to kind of tough it out for another three weeks three months however it makes for the rest of your life to not have these headaches let's think about what your liver going to be like if you're doing ibuprofen every day for the rest of your life for the next 20 years 30 years how's your digestive system you know what i mean we just that we're so accustomed to just contracting out parts of our body. We don't think of ourselves as a whole generally. So giving people that kind of framework to be, hey, you know what? Three months is really not much longer to wait if we can do this correctly. Yeah, that is. So I love your passion. And obviously, like, you know, a lot about all the different elements. We talked about stuff that's outside of the fertility realm in mm -hmm. particular. So Let's circle back to fertility. So there are so many misconceptions about fertility treatments, Western, everything else. I'm, as a lay person, I've encountered so many of them, both from like what I came into the process with a misconception about. And then when I'm helping other people, I'm like, oh, why would you think that? What? Right? Yeah. So it's. Let's talk through some of the big ones. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about fertility support and fertility treatments that you encounter on the regular? So the one I, if I like can set out to do anything in my life and change it, would it be dispel the myth that we have old eggs and that's what we have? Because it's so not true. New science is showing us those eggs are kept in this like great freezer, right? And then before they ovulate, that three-month window, like the dethawing period, that's when all of the changes happen that are going to give us a good copy of DNA or a bad copy of DNA. And that good copy equals baby, bad copy equals not conceived and or miscarried. So we have so much control in that window. Our eggs don't decline our whole life and we aren't just dried up if that's what one doctor tells us. Like that would be the best myth to dispel. I didn't even know that was a myth. So I love that. Yeah. Like that's me already learning. That's incredible. So I had definitely thought that was the case. I knew that the whole like 
fertility declines at like 30, starts declining at 30 and by yeah. 35, you're basically like, you know, barren. Um, I knew that that was based on like ridiculously old, like, what is it like 16th century, 17th century data? Yeah. Like it is. And a sample set of like a yeah. small like French village somewhere. And yeah. Like right. it's insane right. that we still believe this at all. So yeah. That and, was and that's the thing, like our body is naturally uh, designed to decline. So what are we going to do to buffer that declination? Like, so when we're 40, yeah, our chances of getting pregnant are not the same as when they're 25, but it doesn't have to be as like barren old spinster, right? Like there are so many things in the middle. Um, so like uh, piggybacking on top of that is the three month leg. So people, oh, I tried this supplement. I tried acupuncture. I tried this and it didn't work. Well, did you give it three months? Because that's how long it takes in the fertility world. It's not that 30 minute window. It's not that, oh, I had one period and my next period was horrible. So it didn't work. Yeah. You know, I know. So. I totally. And I, that for me is really frustrating. People are like, we've been trying for so long. Oh, how long? Oh, we tried for like three months. I'm like, bitch, please. <laughs> you only began to try. Like, that ain't nothing. That's just life. Like, you may have been pregnant one of those times and that wasn't a good choice and your body went, nope. Like, there's, you know nothing at that point, Jon Snow. Like, <laughs> it's so true like especially I, they don't think about it within themselves like have you been on birth control for the last 15 years three months is nothing you know yeah. think about that like um, okay so you stopped the pill a month ago and now like three months after that and you're thinking oh no i have fertility issues no you're just a normal human being you're fine yeah your body is doing what it's naturally designed to do getting back to its own natural rhythms which it's forgotten for the past x amount of years exactly yeah. So give it some time, sister. You may have fertility issues. Uh -huh. Like that may be true. Yeah. But right now, again, you know nothing. And then I think I also, one of my personal pet peeves. So we had to have like, we went maximum science, Morgan. Maximum Love science. It. Because we knew Go my shit just did not work. <laughs> and we were like, well, so like the first doctor was like, well, we know your stuff does not work. Let's make sure that we only have like one side of a problem. And I was like, right. that's fair. Nope other side like no tails there's like five of them and they're just like sitting there going oh. nowhere so they're yeah. like here's the thing <laughs> y'all just have to go back so we went like full ICSI and uh, for yeah. people who don't know ICSI is the like maximum IVF and I think it's actually what people think of when they think yeah. of IVF but there are like multiple layers. And so like ICSI is the one where like they take his swimmer or lack of swimming in this instance and my egg and they literally microscopically shove one into the other mm -hmm. in a Petri dish and then watch it grow. <laughs> and yeah. like that's so, but it is the maximum, like most invasive and therefore most expensive, thus the Louis and Vuitton comment yes. um, <laughs> that you can possibly go for. But there are like so many things between I help and going yes. to the fertility doctor and that. And one of my pieces of frustration with Western medicine, and I'd love to hear how you handle this in your practice, is that I think that a lot of fertility clinics are guilty of selling people the wrong tier because of mm -hmm. cost. So they're like, okay. oh, well, we can just try an IUI, like we can just try this 
level of procedure here. And it's so much cheaper than ICSI. Yeah. If you're going to do one round and get pregnant, mm -hmm. but when you have done this for three years, now you have paid more for this than you would have for this. Mm -hmm. And based on the, the numbers and the data, there was a really good indication you probably needed this one to begin with. And so I feel like, like I, it's obviously not malpractice, but I think it's not great practice. How do you handle that type of thing in your business? And, and at what point do you just say, friends, <laughs> Eastern medicine is not going to get you home. <laughs> Let me talk, <laughs> send you over to somebody with like all of the science. Like, how do you, how do you handle that? So I guess that I do it like all along. So most people that, so if they've started off and they, they're just thinking they have fertility issue, fine, we can work with them that way. But if they have been to a place and they find out this, this, and this, and this, I say, all right, before we make any decisions, here's what I can offer you to get you in the best shape possible. And then we can go back and have you retested and see, is this still true? Which one is still the best for you? For example, like men. We women, we want to lose five pounds, we diet, we exercise, we do everything possible, and it takes us two months, right? Guys, think about it, and it's done overnight. So their sperm are very much the same way. There are so many changes that men can take that change that sperm quality in 30 days. Extreme. And so, see, I love that because Western science yeah. is almost nothing. Like when we and see this is the thing when you're shopping around, they're not going to give this information. They're not going to give you all the diet tricks and the supplements. And so acupuncture, one of the studies that is really the studies that are out there that are fantastic are alongside of IVF. They statistically increase IVF transfers, IUI, 45%. That's almost half. That's really cool. So knowing that and being able to prep a body, him and her, before the transfer and right after, you know, so then you can help them make educated decisions. So it's not going, they're not just bleeding money to this fertility clinic. Yeah. My costs are significantly less than they're not bleeding money to me. Um, and in the end, it's a happy medium, but it is frustrating that those clinics we just turned a bunch of um, acronyms around, and one of my favorite clients reminds me on the regular that I'm really naughty about throwing acronyms <laughs> and assuming that everybody knows what that is. So can you talk us back, walk us back and talk through, for people who are going through fertility issues, what are the kind of standard options and what do those, what does ICSI, what does IUI, like what do those things stand for? And what Yeah, so generally they'll try and do first like an IUI which is the kind of lower on the, the pyramid. It's the intrauterine transfer. So they basically use egg and his sperm and transfer it up into the uterus. So it's, it's almost natural, but it's not. Medical turkey baster is how I think of IUI. That's awesome. <laughs> that is perfect. That is so great. Yes. It's been a long time since I've heard that one, but it is, it's true. It's the medical turkey baster. And they, and they've measured all of her stuff to make sure she's like peak fertility, but then it really yes. is kind of like, the medical version of a turkey baster and yeah yeah and so but for that like it's not a small price tag it's not and women go through a lot of things they take a lot of hormonal shots they're um it's it's quite a process you're taking progesterone shots you're doing everything is timing and honestly quite the timing of the shots and all of the tracking and the basal body temperature and the cycle it is a lot of stress being thrown into this already stressful and nerve-wracking time um, and so IVF is just kind of like a little bit more steroids on top of that, but they actually go in and they'll, they'll harvest the women's eggs and they'll look at how many viable eggs they can harvest at this time. 
Um, and then that's another area where women can be like, oh God, they only got X amount. They didn't get very many and they don't look so great. 10, five, nine, six, you know, it's really, it's just like, you're always waiting to hear bad news is what I feel like I've seen in a lot of women. Absolutely. My yeah, so, experience yeah. was like, uh, they were like, we would hope for like yeah. 20 eggs, but with you, like, we're going to keep our fingers crossed. We get 10. And there were 10, but yes, 10, even with maximum science, even though they took the little sperm head and literally shoved it into the egg, yeah. only eight of them did anything with that data. So right. we went from 10 to eight. And again, exactly what you're saying. Like I just ever, I dreaded the call from the lab, right? Every right. time it was like, what's today's bad news. And then we chose to do five day genetic testing because mm -hmm. we had all of the data around like anything to increase the odds. Like Morgan yes. could not believe the shit that I was willing to do. They were like, we saw this random study somewhere that said that um, laughing for like consistently for like 15 minutes or something after a transfer had like a 20% increase. Is that real? Don't know. Don't care. But goddamn, my husband made me a like whole playlist of my favorite bits of comedy that I sat and watched from the moment they put that thing in me all the way home. I laughed constantly. Thank you, Mitch Hedberg. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I even make mod to that kind of folklore on my website. Like sister, I applaud your effort. Like the, <laughs> you know, the post-sex yoga move up the wall because you read that it's going to help increase your odds. And women, yeah. it's true. You'll be, you have to find your way to manage all of this stress because yeah. otherwise it's just so negative, right? You're dreading the call. You're thinking it's not going to be, they don't want to prep you for it to get your hopes up. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a very caring, positive experience. It's terrifying, honestly. And I think that and the whole thing is just like, it's so shrouded in language that is obtuse, that like the average is. person is not. And yet you're sitting on this big thing of shame and feeling like your body's broken and if this can't work then I'm going to crush my husband's dream and what's going to what's our marriage going to look like and what's what's my life going to look like and then you've got all these horrible mechanical words being put around you and it's it's really a tough experience for for couples it's yeah it's quite and traumatizing it is and I think that I think that the medical community doesn't help in terms yeah. of not my fertility doctor, I will sing his praises all day long. He's hilarious. He had a great sense of humor about the whole thing. Right. He knew exactly what yeah. he was doing. All of the things he said were had happened, happened exactly as he said they would. I have referred multiple people to him. He did all That's had fantastic. Great, like, but I mean, you know, there's a reason they're Louis and Baton, you know what I mean? <laughs> and but yeah, so like I I get it. Like there are good players out there. But mm -hmm. even with as awesome as he was, what there never was from them that I think that I like that what you're saying kind of comes with it is other than take these injections, show up, hope for the best. Mm -hmm. There was nothing I could do. There was no. Right. Did nobody I ever had. tell you, hey, you know what? I want you to do all of these things. You come back and see me in a year. 
You know, nobody ever said that because there are so many things that you can do to increase where you're not sitting there waiting to see if those cells grow to a viable fetus with all of the proper genetic coding to implant and carry. Like that is the part we all want to feel useful. We want to feel like we have control. We all want to take action when it's our body. And, and yeah, and I think to your point as well, one of the hardest things was nobody had anything for my husband. He was no. like, I showed up, I got given a cup, I got shown to a room. Yeah. That's all that was. And he was really frustrated that he had even less agency, right? So like yes. I had shots, I had things I had to do. I had, yeah. you know, there were some recommendations on things to eat or not eat or do or not do, yeah. et cetera. And he was like, all I can do is here and feel sorry for you. Yeah. And that's not helpful. And men love action. So giving them really viable action steps that they can take to support their partner. Maybe their sperm count is just fine and they don't have to really do anything physically, but they can still take antioxidants with their partner. They can still partake in the meal plan. They can really help support their partners when they're, they're feeling X, Y, and Z, you know, just really get them part of this process. Um, that's helpful for men too. They don't want to sit around twiddling their thumbs. They want to be a part of this. And I think it also helps with just as a couple that it feels more like you're going through it together as a, as a journey. Person, yeah. The the woman is going through it and the guy is riding shotgun and like that, you know what I mean? Which Yeah, but I think it's changed. Yeah. yeah, I think it's changed. Back in the day, you you know, you see the movies of the man pacing in the hospital waiting to hear if it's a girl or a boy. And that's just really not the, the fertility yeah. case anymore. You know, men are in there catching babies. They're part of the birth process. They want to be part of this fertility process too. So yeah. really giving them ways they can do that is so, so crucial. It is. We do like to make a lot of jokes that and when people talk about, you know, because people inevitably make jokes about like conception, like, oh, well, you know. Right you know, dad knows where that comes from. I was like, to be fair, dad was not in the room when it happened, but there were <laughs> five other people. There were leather straps and a pipette involved. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Which is good. I think some levity needs to be added to this. You know, I think there's Absolutely. some, yeah, yeah. And some reality, like you said, that's just really not talked about and there shouldn't be stigma around fertility. I mean, just take a flash freeze at our society and all of the toxins and all of these environmental factors that we don't know how they're affecting our hormones as women and as men. So, and then know. we keep acting surprised that birth rates are on the decline, that fertility yeah. rates are on the decline. And you're like, I mean, like, I'm not a medical professional and I am not good with woo woo. Like it is not, it is not my strength, Morgan. Um, That's awesome. But at the same time, I totally recognize that aspirin comes from willow bark, right? Yes, that that is do. an ancient thing. And mm -hmm. so the fact that herbs do stuff to me, that, that just seems kind of obvious. And I actually get more frustrated with people who are like, I can take whatever herbs I want and I don't need anybody to help me with that. That seems like a great idea. Let me take all the valerian. And you're like, what? That is, no, you should not do that. And that is terrifying. And that is where we get a lot of bad press. Like you will read those stories of women who, oh, I, I heard that this can cure um, ovarian cancer. And there was a case of a woman who did that with some herbs and she ended up like maxing out her liver and she died. And so in this, they have to say, oh, this herb can cause death, but it's really like such an abuse of it. I mean, that would be the yeah. same if I took that much Tylenol, 
you know, it takes a lot less Tylenol to kill you than too much. Yes, it does. (laughs) But I would say beyond that, like I, for me, the other thing is, and this is a U.S. problem for sure. So the, the herbal community in the U.S. is not regulated by the FDA. So they can say that's valerian at this dosage and it, mm-hmm. nobody is monitoring, nobody has to check that that's real or true. Right. It can be absolutely anything. And so there have been so many reports of people that went into grocery stores, look at what appeared from a consumer perspective to be a reputable brand, right? Like the packaging mm-hmm. was dodgy. It was being sold at your local grocery store, which you assume as a consumer has some kind of qualitative check. And that like when they actually did a diagnostic, none of the things that the bottle said were in there were actually in those herbs. So people can be taking herbs mm-hmm. thinking that, oh, well, you know, I take magnesium every day for such and so, and maybe they are, and maybe they're not. How... How do you handle that? Like what is for a consumer, if you like, how do you find things that you can trust that they are what they Mm -hmm. are? And then how do you find, separate good advice from junk advice about what to be taking? First of all, I, to be just some clarification, for example, I'm a board certified herbalist. My herbs are actually the herbs that they use in the hospitals in China is their pharmaceutical grade. So I have to take a board exam. I have to have an education to use them. They are not the herbs and the potency that you can buy on the shelf. So I would recommend anybody wanting to play around with herbs, find a board certified herbalist because their herbs are sourced properly. They're of the proper strength and ratio and they have different delivery methods. You can do bulk herbs, you can get granules, you can get tinctures, you can get pill form. And they're all very high quality. And then they can help you with the dosage. So you know what you're taking for you. Um, That's where media comes in and Costco has a great sale on something. um, And you just really have to be careful. So also um, somebody who is board certified will be able to make proper recommendations of your supplements. They'll tell you what brands are good. They'll tell you what brands meet all the GMP standards and the processing are eco-friendly. Whatever floats your boat for what you want out of an herb they will recommend those proper labels and the dosage and the rest just, I wouldn't buy it. I would just be really buyer beware, be careful because you just don't really know. Are there any of the big commercial brands that you're like, I mean, like if you're really just determined to go do it, this is a good one or are in your experience, is it all so hit and miss that it just needs to really be through somebody who is a certified herbalist? Yeah, I mean, I think there are brands that are on the shelves. I haven't lived in the U.S. in the last five years, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a little bit reluctant to, to throw some names out there. But, for example, I use a lot of um, medicinal mushroom, not the trippy kind, the kind that really boosts our immune system, the kind that really help. I do a lot of adaptogens as well, so finding, like, um, Stamen 7, uh, Paul Stamen's fantastic. You can never go wrong with his... Um, mushroom brands and his supplements. Um, and then there's just some couple other brands that I always recommend. So just working with a naturopath, an acupuncturist, somebody who knows their brands really well, get their opinion. So because it's been a minute since you've been in the U.S., I will remind yeah. you that most of those things are not also those designations are not regulated in the U.S. in most states. Right. So you can just put a sign in your yard that says herbalist here, inquire within. It's so and- true. That so is I would, also terrifying. 
super terrifying. So I would find somebody, usually an acupuncturist is an herbalist as well in this, in, in the realm of herbs that I'm speaking of. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find naturopaths that know a lot about herbs and they sometimes do you toward homeopathic. Nine in the yard. <laughs> Totally. But you want to look for somebody who is board certified. Okay. So naturopaths are licensed. They are a licensed Western doctor on the farthest part right of the spectrum that you can actually get. They can prescribe antibiotics, but they tend to do a lot more natural things. So just get their name, do a little research, do a little Google stalking. Do they have a license? Are they legit? Do they have some good um, testimonials, you know? Check them out a little bit before you kind of say, hey, they make make good recommendations. Well, because I think that like people's expectation is that when you hear naturopath and you hear herbalist, mm-hmm. like, like, oh my God, you know, I have MS and I'm going to go in and they're going to try to rub a crystal on me and tell me that I'm okay. And yeah, I, I've I heard love, it all. Yeah. So I, I love that you're making it clear that's not the case. So what should people expect? Like, what is that initial consultation going to look like? And how is it going to be similar? And how is it going to be different to what we're used to with, with Western medicine? Yeah, so I think that first consultation might shock you because for what I would do is I would actually sit in the room with you for 45 minutes and talk. I wouldn't be off on my computer typing for 15 minutes and then you get some notes on the way out the door. So I want to know all about you. Like, how does your digestion pertain to your fertility issues. And I'm asking you about your sleep and all of these things. And you're going, Hey, this is really weird. Why does she want to know that? But I want to put that whole picture together of what, what your body is saying and what's trying to tell us and why your MS is manifesting or your whatever is manifesting the way it is. Um, I always want to know if you're in care of a doctor, because I'm happy to reach out to them. And I want to let them know what our plan of action is as well and stay in communication with them. Um, and I think a doctor will respect somebody in the alternative field a lot more and be willing to let their patient try these other things because we're all working together. There is no one answer. I'm not treating anything. I'm not curing anything. I'm helping your body get back to a balanced state of homeostasis. So really. that- so I love that you work with the doctors. What is the mm-hmm. response that you get when you reach out and you're like, hey, you know, I'm working with patient X on this. Um, want to mm-hmm. just talk about treatment plans. Are they usually like, oh, fantastic, Morgan, I'm so glad we have a great crack team of commandos on this. Or are they like, bitch, please, or different answers? I would say somewhere in the middle, but really, <laughs> but really, I have to say anybody I've reached out to has been very, they've received me very well. Um, you know, because I'm not typing in all sorts of woo-woo things. I, I write them a very uh, medically based, uh, intelligent letter. You know, I, I, I use verbiage that makes sense to them. I'm not talking about all these weird Chinese diagnoses, like you have qi and blood stagnation. You know, they're going to, that's when they're going to start looking at you like you're nuts. But I actually had a lot of doctors that started referring to me because their patients were really improving and they were coming back saying they were, they had less headaches, they were sleeping better. Maybe they didn't need so much of their medication because they do more checks and things like that. And it was the way it was supposed to work. It was working. So I love that. Like that makes me feel better that Western doctors are increasingly like being part of this conversation because that's always my fear is that when you have an integrated health approach, that the fact that I, as a, you know, patient, am open-minded does not mean like 
I'd have to drag other doctors like kicking and screaming along the way. Like, so my fertility doctor for all of his fabulousness is definitely not. And he's like, if acupuncture makes you feel better, go nuts with the acupuncture. He was like, because we know that there is a placebo that we, there is a, a magical element that Mm -hmm. we think is probably in some way psychosomatic. Um, Western doctor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Women's like, so if it's going to help you be in the right sort of psychological headspace for your body to do what we need it to do, go team. Um, yeah. Rub a crystal, get some acupuncture. Never <laughs> your boat. Oh, gosh. Um, I would think that, I think that one of the things that I love about this conversation is that you have such a sense of humor about yeah. all of this. And you yeah. must get just like a part of you has to have rage about the <laughs> fact that your life's work, your course of study, the fact that you are a licensed physician, like gets so minimized, becomes like and people can be so derisive about it. How do you keep that sense of humor? How do you not just want to like stab everybody that accuses you of of being like you know, a fake crystal healer type. Totally. I think it just started from the get-go. I don't know what I was thinking, but I opened my clinic in North Idaho of all places. Yes. So, yeah. Well, of alternative learning. Of course. Right. So that was terrifying. Like every day people walking in the door. Well, I'm a Christian. If you put needles in me, am I going to not believe in Jesus? And I wanted to be like, yes, hey, you know what? You and the man's relationship is not that strong if you think my needle is going to change that. But, you know, I didn't say that. So really just coming up with ways to be like, hey, you know what? Let me just take the woo out of this for you. Let's say acupuncture. Let's show how it works in the body. Your body is like a big circuit. It wants to run really efficiently. Right now, it's not really running in its best form. All the needles do is show it a more efficient way to run. And your body goes, oh, yeah, that feels better. I'm going to do it that way. And you'll have less symptoms because the circuit's running differently. So the more treatments you do, the more the circuit remembers how to run better. And there you go. So just really trying to take out their fear and kind of some of the nonsense helps me keep a sense of humor. But, you know, then having like a really good hobby to go, you know, smash some glass bottles at the recycling center or something like, you know what I mean? Is there something that you hear, see, or encounter that, like, that you just, that every time it still pushes your button and that you can't have a sense of humor about it? Gosh, you know, I really come up with something. I have, like, a pretty large keyboard. Like, you can push my buttons and I really don't get riled up about it. Um I love that phrase. I'm going to totally steal that just so you know. I have a really large keyboard. I <laughs> I am loving that. Um, Do go for it. There's no rights um, on that. But yeah, so so there's not like a, you know, like, yep, yeah, you know, I'm fine with all of the jokes up to until they say this thing. What about um, with that? So with Eastern medicine, one of the things that um, has been in the press a lot is some of the eco impact that some of the traditional remedies and I don't I only know the western medicine but the you hear things like rhino horn like parts of tiger body parts that's oh yeah yeah and and that 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 is that actually eastern medicine fuels a lot of the poaching a lot of the um Mm -hmm. you know the ongoing degradation of uh, natural habitats what 
What is your thought on that? What is your response for people who are worried that you're going to be like, hey, want to have sperm? Have some ground rhino horn tea. Right. No. And honestly, I don't remember how many years back, but they did away with being able, like, I don't even think I could buy tiger bone and rhino horn if I wanted to. Um, they are just not used. They've come up with other substances. Now, I can't speak for what they do in China, but um, the herb manufacturers that I buy from are, are all good standard. They're all eco-friendly. They're not degrading that. And I just, I don't choose to use animal parts in my formulas. And two, it's not so nice to sneak like earthworm into somebody's formula without telling them, like, enjoy your cup of worm tea. But, um, you know, people have their preferences too. You have to be really cognizant of that. If they uh, have a reaction emotionally, if you put in some bugs or some animals, I mean, I don't want to push those buttons on people. And really, they're just, you can do a lot more with leaves and bark. You don't know, you don't need those formulas. You just need somebody to know how to work around it. So if, so if people have that concern, um, yes. that's something that they can go in and be like, hey, I really would prefer vegan alternatives. And that's not like absolutely. Any. So yeah. what I'm hearing is like as a reputable person like yourself would be like, yeah. sure, you don't have to eat a bug if you don't want to. Cool. Let's find a way, a workaround. And absolutely. And I was the type, you just have to be really conscientious. And if I wanted for arthritis, for example, there's some really good bugs that go into formula to help with that pain. But I would say, hey this is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about that? And you don't have to answer me right now. You know, so it would be something because it's not like a do or die medicine. It's not emergency yeah. care. It's like, how much do we really going to affect this pain? And there's ways around it. This just might be a, a stronger approach if people want that. So I just talk with them about it. I'm very open. You'd have to be transparent, I guess. I, I love all of this. And I have I, I cannot believe we have been talking for almost an hour at this point. So we're almost out of time. Um, so what have we not talked about that, um, that you want to make sure that we do? Yeah, I guess it, just so women know, um, fertility isn't just like one thing. It's just not, you're not fertile or infertile. So really start taking apart. Like you, for example, had PCOS. Wow, there is a whole way that you can just caring for PCOS, caring for endometriosis, caring for these different types of things, irregular cycles, and investigating and navigating that way, you have power, you have choices. And do people, for what you do, is there a physical exam that goes with it? So do people need to be able to physically be in the room with you? No, now people... I'm doing just the coaching as I'm in Portugal. I'm just doing um, things via Zoom. So I have a lot of education information, for example, like all of my little eBooks for PCOS, endometriosis, fertility, whatnot. People can just go and download them. Um, I run sorts, all sorts of things, um, little challenges. I have all sorts of programs for women to apply to their own life. And they really will see the changes and then you can come back and, and work some more. So no, it's not physical. I don't do acupuncture, obviously. <laughs> okay, cool. That is fantastic. So one of the things I ask everybody that I have not asked you yet yes. is how do you handle it when people ask you how much you make? fertility industry is an $8 billion industry. I have a big client pool. That is a fantastic non-answer, Morgan. That is great. Isn't it great? I'm just going to leave it at that. 
Well, I, I can't argue with that. Um, so on that note, um, I'm going to say thank you so much. And we'll have all of the ways to contact you um, in the show notes. And um, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Morgan. Thank you for having me. It's been just an honor. <laughs> You've been listening to Hey, I Want Your Job. For more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.